0: Well, I have a lot to cover, and so I would invite you to turn with me to Second Peter chapter 2. We're going to be looking at 15 verses, 1 through 15. If you have the Bible under your seat, I believe it's page 183. I'm going to read it, because the, the only way to whet our spiritual appetites is to read verses 1 through 15, which is going to set the framework for our exposition of God's word to us this morning. Second Peter 1. Chapter 1, 15 verses. Let me just go ahead and just start us off. I don't have it up here in the PowerPoint. And so I'll just read it to you. It says Simon Peter, a bond servant, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied. To you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Verse 3. Seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature. Having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust, verse 5, now for this very reason also applying all diligence in your faith supply moral excellence and in your moral excellence knowledge and in your knowledge self-control and in your self-control perseverance and in your perseverance godliness, verse 7, and in your godliness brotherly kindness and in your brotherly kindness love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Verse 10. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing of you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. Verse 11. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. Verse 12, therefore, I will always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them and have been established in the truth, which is present with you. Verse 13, I consider it right As long as I am in this earthly dwelling, to stir you up by way of reminder, knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent, as also our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will also be diligent that at any time after my departure, you will be able to call these things to mind. O Lord God of heaven, help us to remind our hearts of these truths to which Peter explained to the churches in Asia Minor. Lord, we have everything we need in your book. We have everything that we need pertaining to life and godliness. Give us a glimpse of your glory. May we get a taste and see that you are always good in any circumstance, especially as we look at Peter's circumstances this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Many of you are um, aware concerning the backdrop of Peter's circumstances, for writing to the churches the things that he did in the fiery ordeal that he and the churches were facing, external trials, because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And as a result of their faith, the churches were severely scattered, persecuted, but I mean that isn't all, because not only did you have the outside pressures of persecution because of Nero the emperor in that day, now you had another problem. Now you had the infiltration of false doctrine penetrating the church, a number of churches. And so Peter calls the church or God's people to action to live their Christian life with steady, persistent, not perfection, but what? But direction. Direction. And whatever you do, don't toss out your confidence that is in Christ due to the perplexities of the circumstances you are facing. That's what he's saying. You know, in our contemporary setting, most notably in our secular marketplace, it's inevitable, wouldn't you say, that we're going to find ourselves stepping into a landscape of ideologies, a landscape of Ideas that are really, for all intents and purposes, are against Scripture, against what Scripture teaches, on a host or an array of matters pertaining to life and death. I mean, how to live one's life, or what is the purpose of life itself? What is truth? I mean, you know what they say, to each his own, right? I mean, that sort of thing, ad infinitum, on and on and on. There's so many perplexing issues today. Ideologies underlie them all. I mean, our world, wouldn't you agree, It's so incredibly pluralistic, right? So many different religions, so many different ideas. And the children of pluralism, apart from the divine revelation of Scripture, produce what? It produces unregenerate ideas or thoughts that we would categorize as the spirit of the age. My professor always said to us, men, don't step into the gajikta. You've heard me say that before, right? Don't step into the spirit of the age. Don't step into it. Stay away from it. But Scripture has another name for it. He called it something else. And the apostle would describe the spirit of the age as, as, as Ephesians chapter 2 would put it, the course of this world. The course of this world. In other words, the unregenerate world is headed towards a... A particular trajectory. Can I put it that way? A particular trajectory because of where it's thinking it's taking them. You follow me so far? Because of where it's thinking it's taking them. And this kind of thinking, this kind of idea, this kind of ideology is antithetical to the divine revelation of God's word. You could say it this way. It is opposed to the face of Christ. It's opposed to the word of God. And interestingly enough, the apostle John describes the course of this world's thinking in his day as the coming of the Antichrist, from the Greek word anti, meaning opposed or against the face, or in place of, and Christos meaning referring to our Lord Christ. I mean, you could say it this way. To put it simply, the spirit of the age is against the face of Christ. It's opposed to Christ because what underlies the kind of thinking is nothing short of the spirit of the Antichrist, which is now upon the world to which one day he will come and he will be the embodiment of all ideologies in this world. He is coming. But presently, The ideologies that are existing in this world today, the many ideologies, the the pluralistic nature of all of those things underlie the spirit of the Antichrist. Why? Because it's opposed to what you and I believe. What? Where does that come from? Scripture. Because if our thinking, I would hope that our thinking and behavior approximates approximates what the word of God teaches in matters pertaining to life and godliness. Because if my thinking, if collectively, if our thinking and behavior doesn't reflect the kind of growing lifestyle that scripture would portray, could I submit to my heart and to your heart? Could I submit to you today that God will not allow us to live in two worlds? He won't allow us to live In two worlds, you will either, you and I will either reflect a lifestyle that sees into the face of Christ. Longing to walk in accordance with his precepts, or you will reflect a different kind of lifestyle that is opposed to the face of Christ. I'm talking about a lifestyle. You know, Ralph Waldo Emerson said this, you know, you sow a thought, right? And you reap an action. You sow an act and you reap a habit. You sow a habit and you reap a character. You sow a character and you reap a destiny. I mean, think about it. Our conduct, my ideas, our conduct, it's chain linked to our thoughts. My behavior, the things that I do and don't do, it's always chain linked to our thoughts. This is by design. I mean, good and proper theology, wouldn't you say? Good and proper theology will have its effect. Agreed? It will have its effect. And the same holds true with regards to false teaching, which inevitably will bear that kind of fruit and also will bear that kind of behavior. So where in the world are you in this? Where are you? Where are you? Can we agree that one of the greatest dangers facing any Christian or any Christian family or church is the possibility, yes, of adopting some form of, of false teaching that's contrary or opposed to the face of Christ, opposed to the Scripture? And if it were possible, would we be able to recognize it? Would we be able to recognize it? Recently, the Gospel Coalition published an article entitled Transformation of a Transgender Teen. And it began something like like this. Eva was in a church luncheon when she got an email from her 12-year-old daughter, Grace, Their names had been changed. Mom and dad, I need to tell you that I'm not actually a girl, she read. My pronouns are they, them. Eva couldn't breathe. She felt like she'd been punched in the gut. She hadn't seen this coming. In fact, a few months before, Grace had shared on social media her belief that God created people, male and female. Back then, Eva was sure that statement was going to earn grace who attended a progressive public public school, some social media problems, and instead it seemed to blow over right away. I would have gotten bullied, said Grace, who was now 16. Instead, they decided to re-educate me. I got invited to groups where all they wanted to talk about was the transgender stuff. Over the course of a few months, I decided I was going to be agender. And then I ended up deciding that I was a boy. Grace was experiencing what is often called rapid onset gender dysphoria in which friendship groups began to experience similar gender questions at the same time, one in five Gen Z Americans now identify as LGBT+, plus, double the number of millennials, one in 10, and quadruple the number of Gen X, about one in 20. It goes on. A surprising number then. 40% of Gen Z and millennials also identify as religious, Increasingly, Christian pastors, youth pastors, and parents are fielding questions and declaring and declarations from young people examining their own gender or sexual orientation, end quote. Wow. Is that not an ideology that's rampant in our culture today? I know you know it. Some of you may, may have been infected by it to some degree or another. And this is just one of many ideologies, right? This is just one of many ideologies just swirling around in Our culture, and there comes a time in which God's people, I'm talking about all of you who are here, must address this kind of thinking, warning the church not to embrace this kind of thinking because it's opposed to the face of Christ. The idea is opposed to the face, and knowing how to Properly respond to false teaching is really one of the privileges that we have the opportunity here for every believer in Jesus Christ, either individual or corporate, yes? We're not to embrace the course or the trajectory of this world. We're not to embrace the false teachings of this world. We're not to embrace a false way of living that runs contrary to the face of Christ. We are to embrace what? the truth as hard as it may be even in our lives we are to always embrace it with all of our hearts every iota every jot and tittle you know our, our theme for this year has been hope for everyday life and you know it, it just what i said doesn't seem to appear pretty hopeful right i mean if you've been born from above it follows it follows That the course and the trajectory of your thinking and living changes as a result such that the apostle John could say to his people in his letter to the churches, he says this, he says, you, he says, you are from God, little children, and have overcome them because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Do you believe that? I hope you do. Man, I hope you do. Once the spirit, once the spirit takes residence upon us in salvation, what happens? It is the spirit of truth that resides in us that alters the course of our minds. It alters the course of everything. Yes? Everything begins to change. Some faster than others. Sometimes sin, it takes a while to, to, to get the sin out. <laughs> it takes a while. John goes on and he says this, he says, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. In who? Take a wild guess. In Christ. Now, if, if, if being an overcomer is descriptive of you I think it follows that your course of life won't be germane to the spirit of the age. It won't be belonging to the spirit of the age. You won't follow the course of this world because you follow a different course, a different trajectory by which God's word is what? Is a lamp to my feet and a light to our what? To our path. To our path. And so, you know, as the old hymn writer would say, you know, be an overcomer. You are heaven's heir and a crown of life you may ever wear. And so with courage, press the battle to the gates till you gain the prize in heaven that awaits. And so with the time that we have remaining, you know we have a new series that we are introducing to you um, this morning. You know, hope for everyday life, but growing in grace and knowledge. You know, the only way that you can grow into daily change the course of your life in terms of how you think so that your behavior also follows. As a result, we got to get into God's word, right? Daily bathe our mind in the purifying solution of his word. Now, I got to try to organize these thoughts, you know, for time. My goodness. I got to organize these thoughts around the reality of Peter's life. About, he's about to die, right? He's about to die. He wrote this from prison. Did you know that? He wrote his letter from prison. He's in prison. He's in prison. He's waiting to die for his faith, but he's allowed to write. He doesn't, but you he, think that he would write concerning his own circumstances. He doesn't even do that. We find him just writing, warning the churches against false teachers that have crept in unaware, silently crept, crept in unaware, and then they're making themselves known slowly over time. It's not too different, really, from Paul's admonition before his death in the book of Acts, where he says, Be on guard for yourselves. He's talking to the church, you believers, be on guard. And for all the flock of which, among which you, which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I know, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own self selves, men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after themselves, he says. He says, be on alert. Remembering that day and the, the, that night and day for a period of three years I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. With tears. And that's what the apostles are dealing with. In our contemporary culture, in the pluralistic society that we live in, that's what we're dealing with. There's one quote, let me just go ahead and read this for you, real quick. It says this. One quote says, Second Peter, along with Jude, is viewed by the same by some, as the dark corner of the New Testament. It does get pretty dark. And as a result, it's not often preached, studied, discussed, or quoted. The book is even neglected in scholarly circles, where critics dismiss it as uh, suedo... How would I say that? Four. Can I just say forged? Let me just say that, right? I'm still learning English. Huh? But the church of Jesus Christ... Ignores this epistle at its peril. After all, Peter wrote it to help believers face a world filled with subtle spiritual deception, knowing that his death was imminent. The apostle wanted to remind his readers of the truths he had already taught them so that those truths would continue to safeguard them after he was gone. Peter also knew that the deadly threat of false teachers loomed large on the horizon and he wanted to expose the apostates in order to expel their demon doctrines from the church. (laughs) End quote. It's a pretty powerful statement, isn't it? Look, we're not going to be a church that overlooks this letter because it makes us feel uncomfortable, right? Um, We understand that that the verity of God's word is the only way to be prepared to face false teaching... Because it reminds us of the glorious splendor of the gospel of Jesus Christ in verses 1 through 15. And the sufficiency of God's word in verses 16 through 21. That's next week. And I think then and only then will false teaching be thwarted And a temptation to dabble in false teaching. I hope to God will lose its appeal. I hope to God it will lose its appeal for ourselves and those that we're trying to impact. And so, you know, this morning we're going to be looking at again 2 Peter verses 1 through 15. And I want you to know, can I encourage you just a little bit? Can I, can I at least say that you have everything you need? You got everything you need. Everything. And the apostle said that to God's people, he said, I will always be ready to remind you of these things. See that? I'll always be ready to remind you of these things even though you already know them. It's good to be reminded, right? It's good to be reminded of the truth because we're such a forgetful people. We're such a forgetful people. Even though you already know them and haven't been established in truth, which is present with you. Let's look at three truths to remember and apply diligently to grow in godliness and avoid false teaching. I want you to remember some things. There's a lot here. This well is deep. And I want you to remember that you have received the same kind of faith. You've received the same kind of faith. I mean, right out of the gate, Peter refers to himself as a bondservant. Doulos in the Greek, it actually really just means slave, a slave of an apostle of Jesus Christ. You know, Peter, he understood this. He understood as we ought to, that we were redeemed, yes, from the marketplace of sin by God and that he and us belong to another and that he was not his own. We are not Our own, because we belong to another. You know, I love what Alistair Begg said. He said that when a person recognizes that in your righteousness, there is life, there is an instantaneous change that takes place in the life of that person. It's not an an inner moral transformation that takes place. It's a change of status. It's a change of status. By nature, I am under God's wrath. I have no possibility of extricating myself from the predicament, save that the power of the gospel breaks into my life and is revealed to me not simply as an intellectual capacity, not simply as an idea, not simply as a notion, but as a life-transforming reality. That's why we sing, for example, O perfect redemption, the purchase of blood, to every believer the promise of God. The vilest offender who truly believes that moment from Jesus, a pardon receives no longer under the wrath of God, now under the righteousness that has been in being provided. Do you believe that (laughs) by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ? It's the centrality and the necessity of knowing Christ, that we come to understand more comprehensively the depths of our need for him. I need thee every hour, right? I need thee every hour, most gracious Lord. No tender voice like thine can peace afford. (laughs) It's out of necessity that then we must appropriate, yes? Then drinking deeply from that spiritual well, That is Christ who, what happens? He illuminates our thinking. He illuminates our mind, for he is the best spiritual elixir against the spirit of the age and the course and the trajectory of this world. And it's by faith given by God that Peter has in mind to which we all share. He says, look, to those who have received the faith of the same kind as ours, by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. This one quote says this. He says, another quote from John MacArthur. He says, This immensely important doctrine of imputed righteousness is at the very heart of the Christian gospel. Salvation is a gift from God at all points. Both the faith to believe and the righteousness to satisfy God's holiness come from Him. On the cross, Christ bore the full wrath of God against all the sins of those who would believe. Those sins were imputed to Christ so that God could impute to believers all the righteousness that was his. Oh, man. You want to talk about grace? You want to talk about love? (laughs) You know, the longer people like you and me reflect an appropriate kind of, an appropriate, the grace that was necessary to secure my salvation, to secure your salvation, the less I think I would hope that we would find ourselves attracted to false teaching that tickles our ears about the nature of our gender or the nature of our bodies or the nature of our sexuality that often is oftentimes in rebellion against God's creative design. And if you would, if just take a peek over what Peter says is eventually going to say about these false teachers in chapter 2, he says this, he says, look, False prophets also arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you who will secretly, listen, introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought, him, who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves, end quote. Look, either our creator made us male or female, and female, or he didn't. And that's neither... Proven by our feelings, not by subjective experience, but by biological fact and genetic reality. Ultimately, what sayeth the Scriptures? What does the book say? And it's what Christ says about our bodies is what we are going to follow without apology, yes? It's what he says is what we are going to follow without apology. Regardless of what the spirit of the age might say. It's to that end, and I think we would stand along, wouldn't you say, with the apostolic confession? Wouldn't you say, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And due to our standing firm in him, what follows, grace and peace being multiplied and knowing God, listen, false teaching, false ideologies, the course and trajectory of the world that is opposed to Christ will tear apart a family. It will tear apart a church. It will tear apart many people. But to us who have been impacted by the gospel, who know him, yes, struggle, yes, we will struggle, we will stumble, we will fall. But Proverbs says, you know, the righteous man falls seven times and what? He gets up, she gets up, she continues to get up, she continues to stay the course. Yes, she's failed, yes, she's made a mistake, yes, he's made a mistake, yes, he's failed, but he gets up and he continues to look back at the cross continues to look at the cross once again, wipes away the tears, and keeps on walking toward the upward call of God. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and Jesus Christ, our Lord. I'm going to skip a quote here. You know, to put it simply, when a person's thinking changes, Their behavior follows. The course of life changes. The trajectory changes. Remember, you possess all the resources needed for growth in Christ. Listen. (laughs) The gospel of our Lord isn't just good news for our mind. It isn't just good news for our mind. It's good news, I think, for our behavior because it's, what is it? The word of God is the two edged sword that pierces through bone and marrow and it performs spiritual surgery on hearts. And what does it do? It puts us back together again. It reconstitutes us. It regalvanizes us such that through God's enabling power, we will reflect more and more of Christ in us, the hope of glory until we bear the image of the, of the heavenly, First Corinthians 15. I mean, why in the world else? Why would we sing my Gracious master and my God, and then it says this, assist me to proclaim, to spread throughout the world abroad the honors of his name. If the gospel didn't bring about the reconstitution of change in our lives, for us to tell others about this pearl of great price. You know, the proclamation of the spirit of the age isn't merely that you ought not to change, but that you can't change. That's what they say. They say you can't change. That's the spirit of the age talking. That's the gajikta that you're stepping in. They're saying you can't change. But Jesus said something about this way. Of living. You know, he said, he said the, you know, the eye is the lamp. It's the, it's, the, it's the lamp of the body. So then if your eye is clear, your whole body is full, of, is full of light. That's what he said. But if your eye is bad, your whole body is full of darkness. And if then that light is in you, he says, oh, how great is that darkness in you. How great is it? That's precisely the spirit of the age. They don't even know what makes them stumble. They don't even know what makes them stumble that's by design. It's by design. That's the design of false teaching brought about by false teachers. And if you just take a peek over at chapter two, again, we just take a peek over that again. It says this, he says, many will follow, look at this, many will follow their sensuality. Many at the end, that's where it ends up. That's the whole point behind false ideologies eventually it ends up there. Many will follow their sensuality. There's something going on in the impulses. And ultimately, that is the goal, to creep in. There's the lie. And many who call themselves Christian will malign the very truth of the gospel by conveying a lifestyle of sensuality. Ultimately, what? Denying the Lordship of Jesus Christ over their lives. Their lies. Their lives say, I am in denial. Doesn't matter what they say. Doesn't matter what their lips say. Their lifestyle, this is what, this is where they are. Many will follow their sensuality. This is it. This is it. Remember what I said previously, the lie is that you can't change because in doing so, you would deny yourself. You would go against your feelings because your feelings are what determine truth and reality for you. It's the old Invictus poem, I am the master of my fate and the captain of my soul. That's the ideology of the age, I'm not at all suggesting that our feelings are not powerful. Look, I know that my own feelings and impulses are powerful. I'm telling you right, those who know me, they know. My feelings, your feelings, the impulses that drive you, they're really powerful, right? You know that. I know they're powerful. And if you talk to someone experiencing a confusion in their gender, they will report overwhelming impulses and feelings and significant experiences, and we, I'm not, we shouldn't discount those things. We shouldn't discount those things any more than I should discount my own impulses, And craving for sin at times to go in a direction that's contrary to Christ. And part and parcel of Christian compassion is listening really tenderly, really exceptionally carefully to another person's experience. And if a parent or friend or individual isn't willing to do that, or a church isn't willing to do that, guess who will listen? The Gajikta. The spirit of the age will listen, they will listen. The same truth is true with same-sex attraction. I mean, that might not be your experience, it's not my experience, it might not be your experience. You may have never felt that way, but we ought to be prepared to carefully listen to those who do life in this broken world that can be confusing and complex. You know, but the message in theology of scripture is that our human constitution, my constitution, and your constitution is made up of far more than feelings. And upon surrendering to the master of our fate and rightful captain of our soul, he has by his spirit destroyed, he broke the power over Satan, over your life. So you can absolutely say through his enabling power, I will not do this anymore. I won't live the course of this life anymore. I won't have anybody over me take advantage of me anymore. Enough. Because Christ is the captain of my soul. It's him who I am a slave to. It's him whom my impulses belong to. It's him whom I love How can I demonstrate that love by the course of my thinking and my life? That is how I will show my love for him. That is how I will show my love for him. And the result of which we can now think and speak and act in ways that honor his truth and reality. And Peter says, remember all the resources that we possess to grow in Christ. We include so many different things, yes? It includes so many different things: the source of your growth, His divine power, by His own glory and excellence. You know, false teaching, false teachers—they can't offer any of that. They can't offer any of those things. You know, we had a gentleman over at Faith East over some family. I forget the family. I think it was maybe three, three family nights ago. I forget. Doesn't matter. Gave an, an absolutely powerful testimony not too long ago, in which he shared. Sorry in which he shared his lifestyle of homosexuality. The gospel had penetrated his heart. He had gotten saved, and it was through the Scripture that he came to the understanding that in order to honor his Lord Jesus Christ with his heart and his mind and his body, he must not and will not act on those impulses. It took an incredible amount of courage for him to say all the things that he was saying. Took an incredible amount of courage to say those things and the amount of power to joyfully live under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And if you would consider this, I mean, isn't that all of our testimonies? Look, there's so many different backgrounds in here. So many, so many different. Some of you have been through absolutely horrendous things. S- horrendous things. Some more so than others. But yet you still follow Christ. I have to say that is nothing other than the power of God that he has kept you. I can't think of any other el- anything else. I can't think of anything else. <laughs> I can't think of anything else. There are impulses in us that sometimes scream that we want someone or something that we know that we cannot have. We test our feelings and desires with the truth and reality of Scripture and you crucify the ones that would dishonor him and act on the ones that would please him. And each time we do that, well, you know, what do you think is occurring? What do you think is occurring in my life and your life? God's divine power is working. His glory and his excellence are working in and through us such that we bear a cross which says I've been crucified (laughs) with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, which now I live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Giving into every feeling and desire is a sign of, really, it's immaturity. Perhaps even weakness. Controlling them with biblical truth is a sign, a growing sign, rather, I would say, of maturity and strength. God's strength, his divine power dwelling in you. You know, Peter also talks about the extent of your provision, the extent of your provision. He says, God has granted us to everything pertaining to life and godliness. Do you believe that? Listen, I'm speaking to my own heart here when I say this. Do I believe that? Do you believe that? Do you believe that this morning? Because if you don't, you know it's going to show up in your thinking. It's, look, it's, we, we can run, but we can't hide, right? It's going to show up in my thinking. It's going to come out at some point in time. It's going to show up in our thinking. It's going to show up in our behavior. And if you say that you cannot change, May I at least submit to you that that's the spirit of the age talking? That's the spirit of the age talking. It's whispering in your ear, it's crouching at the door, Genesis. And its desire is for you. But what does God's word say? But you must master it. That is why Paul said in his letter to the Ephesian church this is what he said. He said, Look, I pray. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. The spirit of the age can't offer that. It can't offer that. I in my own strength can't offer that to you, but I know someone who can. Yes? Isn't isn't that what Peter said to our Lord? Do you remember what Peter said? If somebody determines to to walk away from from Christ, or perhaps you stumble and you fall, ask yourself what Peter said, where are we going to go, Lord? Where are we going to go? You only you, you have the words of eternal life. Where else are we gonna go? The spirit of the age. This is one of the, of the beauties of this church and churches and God's people. Yeah, I know we're not a perfect church. I know the purpose. Look at the purpose of your resources, life, and godliness that you may become partakers of the divine nature. You already are changing now under the cross. Having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust, the spirit of the age enraptures people's minds and behaviors to think like them and they don't escape. But you do. You do. Not by your own power, though. Not by your own power. You have the means to grow. You have the means to grow. Wow, how rather? Through the true knowledge of him who called us, he called you, right? If he called you, he's going to enable you. He's going to enable me, he's going to enable you. And again, I want to remind you, he wrote that from prison. He wrote it from prison. Even in jail, in any circumstance, whatever circumstance you find yourself in, whether it be good or bad, he's granted to us his precious and magnificent promises. Do you believe that? Do you believe that he's granted that to you? False teaching always overpromises and underdelivers. <laughs> it always does. Let me ask you a question. Has sin ever kept this promise to you? Has sin ever kept its promise to you? I know you know the answer to that because you know that sin never delivers what it promises. It never delivers what it promises. I mean, consider some of these wonderful promises. I'm gonna go through this pretty quickly now. For God so loved the world. Look at this. That he gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes. This is the promise that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. You won't perish. You won't die. You won't go to hell. You'll live for another. You'll become a slave for another. Your mind and your thought and your passions are now owned and controlled by him. In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him. You get that? Sealed in him with the hope, with the Holy Spirit of promise. In other words, he owns you. And if he owns you, he will take you home. You belong to him. Every passion that you have, every impulse, you are sons and daughters of the king. You belong to him and no other. You belong to him and no other. John 10, and I give eternal life to them and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hands. That's a pretty secure position, is it not? (laughs) I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. That's the doctrine of imminence. God is here now. I will never desert you. I will never forsake you. We are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and be home with the Lord. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord Forever. (laughs) I love that one. Goodness and mercy began at the cross and it ends at the cross. Yeah? It's, you know, it's that old hymn that we, it's that old hymn that the writer said, you know, when I walk through the dark, lonesome valley, my Savior will walk with me there. And safely his great hand will lead me to the mansion he's gone to prepare. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever and I shall feast at the table prepared for me. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, all the days of my life. You remember your responsibility to grow in godliness. Remember that. Let's go a little bit faster. Apply all diligence, applying all diligence. Be all the more diligent. You see that? It keeps on going. I will also be diligent. Applying all diligence, be all the more diligent. I will also be diligent. You know, these resources are available to all of us who are here. It's available to all of us. Supplying and increase the needed qualities for growth and spiritual maturity. And then he says this, look, if these qualities are yours, and they are, if they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we sometimes have to stand for our freedom, right? Let me go ahead and say this in... I got a number of things I gotta say, but you know, you you heard about the whole West Lafayette City Council. They were trying to promote and, uh, false teaching, really. They were trying to promote and protect false teaching. And what what did we do? We had to come against it. We had to come against it as a church. We had to come against it. Why? Because part and parcel of the Christian life is that we make certain our calling and choosing. You have to live out your worldview. In terms of what you believe, in the landscape of ideas, put the landscape of ideas which, is, which comes from the scripture, put it out there. Go against the stream. Go against the stream. Be all the more diligent. And call to mind. Call to mind the truth you have been taught by others. So what about the young girl named Grace who told her mom she was no longer a girl and had changed her pronouns? I mean, you could read that whole family story, by the way. You could read it. And I want you to remember that girl and that family to pray for them. You could read the whole article, by the way, Transforming of a Transgender Teen. And she remembers walking her neighbor's, her, her, her neighbor's dog wrestling with, with God near the end of her freshman year of high school. I knew I couldn't be a trans kid and a Christian at the same time, she said. Right? Remember, you can't choose two masters. I had to choose very begrudgingly, I told God. Fine, if you made me to be a woman, whatever, whatever, fine. Okay. A week later, her, her gender dysphoria was gone. It was completely gone. She felt uncomfortable but immensely relieved at the same time. The God of grace, literally in this case, helped her to remember. And listen, whatever circumstance you find yourself in, whether it be good or bad, you can change. Why? Because God's word has given to us everything that pertains to life and godliness, and the third person of the Godhead dwells in you to enable you and to strengthen you that whatever circumstance you you face, no matter how bad, God will help you. Thank you, Lord, for this moment of time. May you be glorified in the preaching and teaching of your words today. In Jesus' name, amen.